We, uh, we see Trevor is back in the room. He's visiting again. Welcome, Trevor. Great to see you, man. Um, gosh. Uh, thank you, worship team. That, that was amazing worship, as always. Um, so we are, we are starting our new series. Um, and I think, I know you're all, all more wise to believe me um, necessarily straight off the bat, but I think it's going to be about eight weeks of sermons, okay, or nine, maybe ten, okay, <laughs> that ballpark. The, the aim is to, uh, you know, we want to have a series on acts and, and then a series on worship, uh, and to do that, yeah, by Christmas, maybe. Um, but if, you know, if the Lord starts saying, stay on some, stay on some scripture, then we'll stay there. Um, Let me, um, I just want to read this one thing to you before um, I start. This links in with what Amanda uh, just led us in prayer. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly tonight about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, just very briefly. It's going to come back in the series, okay? Um, but I, I, did, I did sense the Lord saying as I was praying into this series that... Well, a lot of us are going to face a lot of challenges, okay, in the way that we view our relationship with the Lord and how we, how we view the Lord working. Um, and that's just the nature of Scripture. The spirit of truth is going to lead us into some truth, okay, and that maybe some of us don't yet know, and that's awesome. Um, but I, but I, felt the, I felt the Lord warning that there's this, um, you know, one of the leavens of the Pharisees, one of the, the Pharisees... That sort of the, the weapons of the religious spirit is shame. Okay? Um, and I just sense that, there's, that it's something that's going to come up for some people over and over again. Okay? Because the nature of shame is to say that we are not worthy. Okay? And, and, it's, an, and it's the nature of shame to disqualify us. Um, so as, as with all words that are given prophetically, this is just something that I'm going to offer to you and for you to test. But I always... You know, I, pay, I try to pay attention when I believe the Lord is speaking, but particularly when he talks to me and I'm not actually asking him something. But I was asking him a question about something completely different, and, and I just felt him start to speak about shame. Okay, so I, I just want to read to you um, what I heard him say, and this was to us as a body. Um, so this is what I felt the Lord saying. Be a shameless people. Shame and love cannot coexist. If you have shame, you are not in love. Think about your human relations. Does shame ever produce love? No. So be done with shame. My love overcame shame, for it overcame the sources of all shame. You are not Samaritans worshipping one who you don't know. You worship the one who introduced himself who declared that he is the Messiah and declared life in living water. How can you worship with all of your hearts if part of your hearts feel unlovable? You can't. Put away shame. Shame is the leaven of the Pharisees. My death reaches every sin, every failing, every fault I have forgiven you. And this was important for some people. I just felt the Lord saying, forgive yourself and accept my forgiveness. 
Sorrow, holy sorrow will lead to repentance. Shame will lead to despair. Seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness from the one who loves you. But never pursue shame. That is not me. Okay, so those are words from our Lord, I thought, were for us, at least for some of us in the house. Okay. Um, and maybe as we go through this series, this will come up. Okay, so, series on Acts. I'm really excited about this. Um, you know, I think if we were to say where did Kingdom Life launch it, kind of launch a bit like Acts, you know, Holy Spirit showing up, doing stuff with people, then wondering what on earth was going on. Um, and then you know, here we are, 10 years later, Bill, 11 years later, 12 years later, I don't know. So obviously, um, as, as we're going through this book, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to grow in knowledge. Okay? I'm, I'm hoping we're, we're going to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God, um, this incredible book. But obviously as well, I'm not just here for intellectual growth. Okay? I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we are going to receive truth and, we, and we're, going to see, we're going to see the way that the Lord wanted His church to be. Okay. And every every night, maybe during worship, maybe after the sermon, during ministries, but at some stage, I, I, we, we're going to be intentional. And this is our heart as a, as a church: is to be able to experience the reality of a living God. All right. And those testimonies, Brandon, you, those those are great examples. You know, of God just meeting people in their sleep, you know, on their own, or during worship, whenever it is. But we're going to be intentional about giving giving the Lord space to move and just to, to meet us. And maybe for some of us that'll be the first time. Maybe, maybe it'll take us deeper than he, he ever has. Okay. Um, but I want, I want to say this you know, straight out at the beginning, that what I believe the Lord's saying to us is that Acts is our standard. Okay. That everything that we read is within the bounds of his church. And it is truth. And I'm hoping that excitement and desire is going to rise up in us for more of him and to be more of the church as he designed it. Okay. And that really excites me. So um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm only going to talk about the first part of Acts 1 today. Okay, I've got, got, got to just set the scene a little bit tonight. Um, and the way I think we're going to do this is we're not going to go through like one, two, three, and go through the books um, because that would take us to at least Christmas but I, just, I sense the Lord, he's, we're going to just do some things around themes. Right? And so Acts, a little bit of Acts 1, and Acts, Acts 2 deserves its own sermon because it's just incredible, isn't it? Um, but then we're going to look at you know, how the Holy Spirit moved in Acts 3 and 4 and, and the opposition that the church faces. And we're going to look at the ministry to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Okay? And then we'll look at, obviously, Paul's ministry and the overturning of cities. And so there's these themes that we're going to pull out of Acts. And so we, we, we're going to jump around a bit. Um, but a few things. These are, these are the kind of foundational ideas. Um, and so, you know, take notes or try and remember these as, as we go. Um, and, and the first is, is, a, is, a, is a point to Bill. He's actually written papers on this, okay, and published on this. Um, but that, that is that we, we need to see Acts as a ministry manual. Okay, that it's, it's a record of how God wants his church to be. Okay. Absolutely foundational idea. 
We, uh, maybe this is just me, okay. But you know, we, we can read books of the Bible. We can read Ezekiel, and he has these incredible heavenly experiences. You know, we can read Exodus, and we can read about the miracles of Moses and Aaron. Um, any book of the Bible that is full of these supernatural stories, these ways of God being with men and women. And they, and they can read like, you know, I don't know, myths, metaphors, fables, nice stories that are supposed to teach me something. Okay, but we often don't think of them as actually being about real people in this world, in history, doing the things of God. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Okay, but there's this kind of detachment that we can have. And I think the same thing can happen with Acts. Um, that we can look at these stories. Like, what does it mean that something could touch Paul's body and it could go to a sick person, a handkerchief, and that would heal the person? Like, what does that even mean? Like, what do we do with that? And we're going to see some crazy things in Acts. And we have this... We have this choice in everything that we read. Do, do we read it and we kind of keep it at arm's length and think, well, it's amazing, but... Okay, are we going to have that but or not? Okay, or it's amazing, and, it's, and, and it is, this is what Jesus wants. This is actually how his spirit moves. And this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is post-resurrection. This is the promise of Jesus fulfilled. Okay, so... Let's try and absorb it and not keep it at arm's length. And like I said, I'm hoping that we'll have this growing excitement and this, like, this growing desire to cry out, Lord, show us more, take us deeper. You know, I want to hear testimonies of some of you to going to heaven and seeing stuff. You know, who wants to be that person? That'd be pretty cool. Okay, like, whatever we read. All right, let's, let's press and let's get excited about what Jesus actually chooses to do. And, and these three things are all connected, okay? But this, this, so the first is, what does it mean to actually live a spirit-filled life? Spirit-guided life acts as a manual. Okay, first thing. Second thing, we are going to get pushed and we are going to get stretched, okay? Um, there is so much that we're going to see in Acts that involves a new way of seeing the world, a new way of seeing God, and a new way of being in the world. And it starts in Acts 1, but we're going to see it over and over and over again. Yeah, and, and the same thing is going to apply to us. We all have ideas, we all have theology, we've all been told things, no offense, Bill, by theologians that are just wrong. And, you know, Bill sent me a whole lot of notes and, and things that he's done on Acts, and it's amazing. But it's, you know, it's curious, you read these things, and like, this is the minority view, that's the majority view, this is the view from these theologians. Yeah, these are men, and these are women, and they disagree with each other. Okay, and that's the nature of learning and intellectual study, and that's good, and that's important. Okay? But, we have to be willing to see like, where have we taken a pharisaical, a religious leaven. I'm, I'm old. You guys, I don't know if you guys have even seen overhead projectors. Anyone see the overhead projectors? And you, you know, and you... yeah. I know I'm making myself ancient. When I, started, when I taught high school, I used to teach those, on those things. They were really useful because you could watch the students. You didn't turn your back on them. Okay, <laughs> really useful. But you know, sometimes like this, our faith can be um, like, you know, like one sheet on the overhead projector that's, that's reflecting Christ, and then, but then we, we place these other things. And they can be religious, or they can be political, and they're just other ways of seeing the world, other ways that influence us. Things that, um, 
Take a political issue, for example. Okay, sometimes there are political issues that we call to fight for, and the things of justice that we call to fight for. But how many times have you seen the faith warped by a political idea? And the idea actually becomes preeminent, and people lose their peace, and they lose their joy, and they lose their sight, and they start adding things into the gospel. Okay. How often do we see that in religion? Unfortunately, the church is full of stories of things being placed on top of the truth of Christ. Okay. And some of us are probably walking with things that the Lord's going to want to strip off us. And that might not be comfortable, I'm just going to be honest. Okay. But I know that if we allow him, that we're going to go deeper with him. Now we see this, again, just give an example, we see this in the simplest ways at Kingdom Life. When we have students who come here who have never been taught that the Holy Spirit speaks, that the Lord speaks through the Spirit. And how many times do we see students hear the Lord's voice for the first time? And that is a religious idea that has to be stripped off. Oh, he does speak. That's cool. Yes, it's in the Bible, okay? Um, and, then, and then we see it. But how many of us actually believe things that are just not true? Okay? And so let's be, let's be willing to do that. Um, so the second thing, learning new ways of being with God and in the world with him. Third thing, okay, very Sunday schoolish. Um, and this was funny because I, I said to Kath, um, I said to Kath yesterday, I know he wants me to speak on Acts, I, like he's been saying this for ages, I, but I still don't actually know the why. Like, what's the why of this? And I, and I hate preaching without a why. Okay, that's like, that's why I get up here. I want to know the why. And, and ultimately, the third thing and the why that I felt the Holy Spirit saying, and this is super, super simple, but this, but Acts, the book of Acts is Christ revealed. It is the revelation of Christ and the way that he chooses to be in the world, okay, which I've said already. But it is absolutely vital for us to see that this is a revelation of Christ. It is a revelation of who he is, who he was to the disciples in the early church and who he still is today to us if we will embrace it. Okay, so um, that really excites me because if we do anything in this series, at any moment, at anything anyone up here says, and we get a little bit more revelation of Christ, that is worth it. Okay, to know the one <laughs> who's worthy of our praise and worthy of our love, to know him deeper is such a prize. So, Let's get to scripture. So we're doing a series on Acts. This is my kind of joke of the night. The natural place to start is John 15. Okay. Um, sorry, for those who are new, we, John 15 is a bit of a joke in this church because we, we've been in it so long. Okay, John 15. Um, again, this is, this is foundational. Okay, and and I, I'm going to read a little bit of John, well, quite a little bit of John 15 from verse 18, and I'm going to read just three verses from John 16. Okay, and I appreciate, appreciate that this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking, I think, the most beautiful scriptures in all of the Bible, okay, 14, 15, 16, 17. But these, these are part of this, this prayer, this discourse of Jesus. And I, and I want us to remember these as we go through the book of Acts. Because this is Jesus speaking to his disciples of what is to come. And we're going to see these words as a prophecy that are fulfilled over and over and over again. Okay, but these promises, if we were to read further on, that Jesus is saying these things to his disciples and he's saying them to us. Okay, so 
I know, John 15, and then we'll get to Acts, I promise. Reading from verse 18. It's a really optimistic way to start. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. If you were of the world, it would love you as its own. Instead, the world hates you because you are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Remember the word that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. But they will treat you like this because of my name, since they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. I'm going to John 16, 12. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Okay, so maybe a strange place to start a series on Acts, but just two things that I wanted to capture here. Obviously, as I've said already, this is a prophecy of Jesus. This is a statement of Jesus of what is to come, what is to happen to the disciples, okay? And we need to take this seriously. And the first thing, quite obviously, is opposition. And we will see this right from the very beginning of Acts. We see the church is opposed. The move of the Spirit will be opposed. The church, <laughs> the church is not supposed to necessarily be well-liked. Right. Jesus talks about a church that is antagonistic to the world. Because the world hates him, it will hate the church that has him. Right. If the world loves the church, then the church should start asking itself some questions about how much of his presence is actually in it. Okay. We're going to come back to this as we look at a few cases, quite a few, unfortunately, where the church was persecuted, where the church was opposed. Okay. But the reaction of the disciples under the influence of the Spirit is amazing, and it's a fulfillment of Jesus' statement in the Beatitudes when he says, rejoice when you're persecuted. Because that's what we see them doing. The second thing that Jesus promises here is his Spirit, the Advocate. And maybe most importantly, he is the one who is truth. The Spirit of truth. It's such a glorious name. And why is he the spirit of truth? Well, because he brings from the Father at the, at, the, at the desire of Jesus, and he can only but bring truth from the Father. 
And I didn't read it tonight, but remember elsewhere, Jesus said to his disciples, it is better that I go to the Father. That this was his plan. This was his idea. This was his way of starting a church. That less of Jesus was better. More of the Holy Spirit was better. Okay, so let's go to Acts 1, finally. Make that only took like 20 minutes. Not bad, not bad. Thank you. I thought it was pretty good. All right. So, again, I'm going to read the first part of Acts 1, and I'm just going to tease out a few things to uh, set us on our way in this series. So reading from verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken, up from, taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I've said before when I've preached these words that I, I, I want us, um, when I preach from the scripture, I, I, I want us to really emphasize that Jesus, these are Jesus' last words. And we can only think that the thing that he chose to say last was really, really important. Right. So like, these, are, these are a treasure to us. Obviously, we have a God who still speaks and a Holy Spirit who still leads us into truth. But these are Jesus' last words and they matter. Okay, and, the, and the first thing I wanted to say, and this is just super simple, but like, that first little section where he's writing to Theophilus, um, and just to point out that this is a record this book, right? We call it the book of Acts, the Acts of the Disciples. It's also sometimes known as the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is a record of Acts. So this is a man, Luke, who went around and talked to people, who saw what happened, who got to witness accounts of things, that this is a record of stuff that actually happened. It's not fable, it's not myth, it's not metaphor. This is an account of things that happened, that are normative for the church if we will believe them. There is nothing that I know of, and maybe Bill can correct me, but there's nothing I know of in all of Scripture to say that the example that Acts sets for us is no longer valid. 
This is Scripture. So at the very beginning of Acts, this is really quite simple. Um, but again, just to tease out the obvious, um, Jesus tells his disciples to wait. What does he not say? He doesn't say, go to Jerusalem and get a whiteboard and start planning. Okay? Come up with your best ideas, people. Form a political party. Oppose Herod. Shout down the Pharisees. Nothing that we might expect. He doesn't give them the right to have control in any way at the beginning at all. Go and wait. And you can pray. He disempowers their human urge to make something happen. This is so important. Okay, I, I lead a small church. I know what it's like, the temptation to have plans. And I know pastors who lead mega churches, and, and I hear some pretty bad things about how little God has to do with planning and programming. Okay, we, we can be so fixated. And Jesus does not give them that option. He says, wait. And then he says, <laughs> to wait for the promise. This, this promise that he talked about in John 15 and 16. This advocate, this spirit of truth. Like he, he, he is saying to these, these Jewish men who knew scripture, loved the Torah, loved the history of God with his people, that there is this spirit of God that over hundreds of years occasionally has touched men and women, and, and those men and women have seen the purposes of God be performed. And this promise is now for everyone. The Spirit is to be poured out on everyone. And they have no idea what he's talking about, of course. But this is the promise. All right, and, and my son will tell you that when I promise something, I, I don't always do what I promise. Okay, unfortunately. But it's a strong word, isn't it? I promise. This word that is used, it carries with it the fulfillment of the offer, of the statement, of the thing that is being promised. Okay, it is a true promise, not a worldly promise, which may or may not have, hopefully most of the time they happen. Okay, this is the Lord's promise. It does happen. It will happen because it is the Lord that is speaking. It's not an if, people. All right, go and wait for the promise that I have promised you already, the promise of the Father that I am going to ask him to send to you. And then he says, and I, you know, I don't want to say anything that might frustrate people here, but um, he talks about John's baptism of water. Right? And that he says to him, you've been baptized in water. You've had this baptism of John. And of course, Jesus baptized as well because of the baptism of John. But the baptism of Jesus is the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, and it, and it, it, it still amazes me um, and, I, and I say this just, this was not part of my church tradition, um, that I was raised seeing these as two very distinct things, the, the, 
the baptism of the water and the baptism of the Spirit, that conversion to knowing Jesus was something that happened with the baptism of the water. The baptism of the Spirit was separate. Um, and I'm, I'm constantly amazed by how many Americans, American Christians I meet who I, and I ask them, you know, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And they say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And it's like, well, that's not actually the same thing. Is the Holy Spirit involved in your conversion? Absolutely. What, did you meet him in that moment? Absolutely. Okay? But bear in mind, Jesus here is talking to people, men that he has trained, men that have seen him perform miracles, men that know he is Messiah, men who have literally touched his resurrected body, and he still says, there's something more that you need. Okay? There's a baptism of the Spirit coming, which I cannot give you now while I'm here. It will be given to you when I ascend to the Father. And we see this later, okay, and throughout the New Testament, that the baptism of the Spirit is, a, is a something that happens, and it can be incredible and momentous. It's also something that we're told go on being filled with the Spirit, okay? That it's not something that happens once and then, hey, cool, I got it, all right? We need to constantly be refreshed by the Spirit. And so if you have, if you have never had hands laid on you or if it's been a long time since someone actually put their hands on you, as Scripture tells us we should, and, and ask the Lord to fill you, then do that, okay? And, and maybe like Brandon's test me, you moved, like, you know, it could be when you're just lying in bed that the Lord enters the room. It's completely up to Him. Okay, but don't go through life without asking for that baptism of the Spirit and the refreshing, repeat filling of the Spirit. Okay, and then the disciples, obviously. What do they do? They go straight back into man's mode of thinking, Lord, is this the time that the kingdom will be restored. Jesus promises these amazing things and they immediately go back to what is natural for a Jewish man to think. Okay, are you going to restore the kingdom? It's a completely natural question. And of course, if Jesus said, you know what, let's do that, that would mean a Jewish kingdom. I had my DNA done the other day. No, that was no Joe, you've got no Jewish blood in you. You, I mean, maybe none of us have got Jewish blood in us. It means no kingdom for any of us. Okay. Obviously, Jesus' plan was the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And his disciples are looking at this. Through eyes that we can understand. But Jesus, what I love here, um, he's so gentle with them. And, yeah, and there are times in the scripture when Jesus can rebuke his disciples, but he's so gentle. He doesn't say, no, come on, have you not got it yet? I can't leave now because clearly you still don't understand. You know, he, he tells them to wait, to receive power from the Father. And he says, you'll be witnesses to me. And so he, he makes this statement. He, does, he doesn't directly contradict them harshly. He just says, only the Father knows. You don't need to know. But he does lift their gaze. Like, this is not about Jews. This is about the ends of the earth. And there's no larger explanation here because I imagine Jesus is thinking they're only going to understand this when they get the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I'm not going to bother trying to explain this. And obviously this call is still there for us. 
that are we witnesses to the gospel? Okay. And um, as we read Acts, have this thought as well, that if you were to strip out the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts, would there be any Acts left? Would there be any church? So on what basis do we think that we can have a church and witness to Jesus without the Holy Spirit manifesting explicitly with us and through us? Okay, if, if this is our standard, we have to have him. Less of the man's plans and more of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Okay, two more things, I think. Jesus then talks about power, and I might actually ask Bill to do a handout for us on this because it's um, such an important idea. Um, and I might go into it in more detail in, in next week's sermon. Um, but just for time, um, you know, Jesus promises power, dunamis, miraculous power. Yeah, miraculous power. Like, this, is what I, this is what the Father's going to send you. His Holy Spirit and miraculous power. Like, these are the ingredients to his church. <laughs> it's not complicated if we won't make it. Spirit and power, not a business plan, not a political program, not a human-controlled agenda. Wait. Spirit and power. As we go through this book, let's just keep remembering this. Spirit and power. Spirit and power. And we're going to see it over and over again. We're going to see it when a layman is healed. And we're going to see it when a persecutor is converted. And we're going to see it when witches burn books because they've met Jesus. Spirit and power. So, to finish. As we go through this series, as I've said, um, um, church, church is a lot of things, okay? And it's a lot of good things. Like, I, I love the fact that we come together and worship, and I, I love the fact that we worship together, and I love all the amazing worship teams that we have, and I love the fact that I get to see you guys every Sunday when we don't have COVID. And um, I love family, and I love community. Um, I love the friendships. I love, yeah, there's so much that church brings to just being human and being in God's family. Um, I love experiencing God's presence. I love hearing his voice. I mean, there's so many things. Um, but as we, as, we, as we go through this book, will we, will we be willing to ask these questions? Like, have I made church about a whole list of things? And, and all, all those things might be good, but have I lost that, that, that beginning foundation? Spirit and power, the reality of this advocate, the spirit of truth revealing Jesus to us. And letting him flow through us. And as we go through, through this book, will we allow ourselves to yearn for more? And will we, will we be willing, as much as we are able, to unreservedly say, Jesus, I surrender. Will you, will you give me more? Will you show me more? Will you reveal more? 
And so that's um, how I want to finish tonight. I just want to pray, and I want to ask that question. Okay. And I'm just going to pray, if you, and you guys can, you can just agree with me in your hearts. Um, and then, Amanda, I don't know if you've got anything. Maybe. Okay. So let's, let's pray, and we'll, we'll finish with a prayer. Um, As I said before, as well, you know, every week this this it might be this final prayer, it might be during ministry, it might be someone leading worship, but we we're gonna we, we just want to be really really explicit and intentional about creating space for the Holy Spirit to meet us. And it could come while you're kneeling at the front you're during worship, or when you're blissfully not concentrating at all, sitting on your bum. It could come in ministry. It could be a word. It could be a, a, a heaviness of his presence. It could be electricity running through your body. It could be him speaking truth. There are so many ways that he loves to move. Jesus, for tonight, my prayer is simple. Oh Lord, oh God, we we want to be the church as you as you planned, as you desired. A church that witnesses you to the world. Jesus, forgive us for our shortcomings. Every time that we've lost sight and we've made church about ourselves, our plans. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, maybe some of us are in a place where we can, we can cry out to you and say, Jesus, give us more, show us more. We yearn for you. We yearn to know you more. Maybe some of us, Lord, just have to say, Lord, I, I want that. I don't even know how to want that, but I want it. Will you move, Jesus? Would you waken our hearts and our spirits to the reality of your promise? The promise of the Father, your spirit poured out into your people. Power and truth poured out into your people that your kingdom would come on this earth, that the lost would be saved, the sick would be healed, that those in bondage would be freed. Show us, Jesus, show us how this book is your display in the world, your desire for your church. I love you.